If you have your Bibles, open those to Matthew chapter 5 as we continue our series. As a matter of fact, as we conclude our series on uh, the Beatitudes of Jesus, you may think, I thought you finished those last week, which to which you would be accurate. However, when we read through the first portion of this sermon, there is a fitting end to it. You may have noticed last week that there's a transition that moves in the text. You move from blessed are the persecuted to blessed are you. And this really begins to be a conversation for the people who are hearing. There are two types of people that are sitting there listening to Jesus. There are those who are hearing him as his followers, and there are those who are not followers of Jesus, but they are overhearing him. So simultaneously, the Sermon on the Mount is a, an invitation for the non-believer to, the, to walk with God. And it is a declaration to the believer, this is who you are. I have recently been reminded of by my boys that I tell dad jokes sometimes. These have always been my jokes. Before I had children, they were just called jokes. And they let me know that, no, those are things that dads say. I guess because I'm the dad, they know the best. They think that's the thing. When one of the things that I say regularly, this colloquialism, is I will say about someone, if I like them, that person is as good as gold. And I say it regularly because I typically like most people. That person is as good as gold. I, and that means that I think the world of you, that I think that you're great. It's a phrase that is almost synonymous with the one that we'll be dealing with today where Jesus says that those who are followers of Jesus are the salt of the earth. More than likely, in, at some point in your life, you are someone, you are the salt of the earth. You may not have even realized where it comes from. Jesus uses this phrase to talk about people who are his followers. But to understand where we are in light of this text, start with me in Matthew chapter 5. We'll read through verse 16. While he saw, when he saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples, they came to him. And he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and who thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness' sake. For the kingdom of heaven is theirs. You are blessed when they insult you and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. Be glad and rejoice because your reward is great in heaven. For that is how they persecuted the prophets who were before you, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket but rather on a lampstand. And it gives light for all who are in the house. 
In the same way, let your light shine before others, so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. These Beatitudes are an invitation to the way of being that will result in flourishing, according to one commentator. While the salt and light statements of Jesus, which are a continuation of them, are the spreading of the flourishing of God's people to the world through witness, deed, and an invitation for you to do the same. This is a conclusion for the Sermon on the Mount, and we notice this you shift. Just in case you're listening to Jesus, and the things that he happens to be saying are things that resonate with you. You are this. You are this. You are this. Jesus wants you to wear that shift. He wants that shift to be something that sits on your heart, sits in your life. You are the salt of the earth. Salt's a big deal when you look at it historically. Uh, if you've ever been to Israel or seen pictures of Israel, there's a place called the Dead Sea. Just for perspective, uh, it is uh, really where we find most of the salt that we find used around the world. Salt's a big deal for us when we eat. It's a big part of our, our diets. In, in the ocean that we get to experience here as Lake Jacksonians... It's made up of 6 to 8% salt. But the Dead Sea, it's made of 36% salt. You can't sink in it. They tell you to back into the water because you're not going to be able to swim. If you have a cut, you won't get, have one when you walk out of the water. It's the lowest point on earth. And whenever we read Jesus talking about salt, it is this point of reference at this place in the world where he's talking about Salt for them is a huge deal because it is a massive part, not simply of their diet, but it's a part of their whole economy. The idea of salt matters to them. It, it's the idea, the terminology is almost synonymous with me saying that you are the diamond of the world. That you are something that is precious because the idea of salt at that point in the world, in that part of the world, is it matters. Maybe salt doesn't mean that much to you because it's so super cheap. If you were to go to Walmart and buy great value salt, it's 40 cents for 26 ounces, according to Google. If you were to buy Morton salt at HEB, it's 86 cents for 26 ounces. If you were to go to Trader Joe's, it's $13.46 for 26 ounces. That's not true. It is actually $8.75. In Roman times and throughout the Middle Ages, salt was this massively important commodity. It was referred to at some points as white gold. A high demand for salt was due to its important use in preserving a food, especially meat and fish. Roman soldiers were paid in salt at times. It was called a salarium. You may be familiar with that word if you have ever gotten a paycheck. The idea of a salary. Because of its use as a preservative, salt became a, a really big part of Jewish conversation. It was a token of permanence. When you read into the book of Leviticus chapter 2 verse 13, you see that salt is part of the consecration process. It's part of covenant. God used this idea of salt as covenant to say things to us. The idea of his permanent presence in our life. It's used in the Hebrew sacrifices as a, it is used in the sacrifices as a meat purifier. And it comes to show and display the eternal covenant between God and Israel. And God says to his people who are in right relationship with him, You are the salt of the earth. You have a reason for being here. You are to preserve. 
that you are to hold, to see the world can hold on for something more. And for every one of us who are believers in Jesus, God has said to you, you are the people by which I am saying hold on because I'm doing something. Hold on because I've not given up. Hold on because I'm going to carry through to the end. Hold on because I'm a covenant-keeping God who is a covenant-keeping, who keeps His covenant promises to His... You are the salt of the earth. You, when you read it, it really says it in this way with this emphasis. Not only does it say that you are the salt of the earth, it says to a believing people and those who are in right relationship with God through the work of Christ Jesus on the cross, you and you alone are the salt of the earth. You and you alone are are causing this world to hold on in the face of corruption. You and you alone. You, the people who who follow me, are the reminders of God's promise to redeem, His promise of hope. You and you alone. You are the salt of the earth. You and you alone. Salt preserves. But if the salt is to lose its taste, or its saltiness, your translation may read, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled under others' feet. Salt didn't necessarily lose its saltiness, but there was a common practice of attempting to dilute salt. To spread it a little thinner. And when this practice was used, they would mix it with various other items that were visually familiar. Spreading it out for the sake of preservation. Because after all, salt preserved meat. Preserved their diet. It held them tight. It kept things over. It reminds when Nolly was three... She went into our garage. We had a deep freeze. She was with a friend. And based upon the recollection of my three-year-old at the time, her friend pushed a button on our deep freeze, causing it to thaw out. Hope called me when I got home. There was pineapple juice and, and just blood everywhere. It, we had just filled that freezer full of, of beef. And everywhere that we looked, it had not been preserved by the freezer. It had lost its freeze. It had... That had been removed from it. When you look at this text, Jesus is saying that to his people. The idea of losing your purpose, losing your way, not preserving because you have been deluded by the things that may take place in this world. The things that you have chosen to uh, take hold of and in reality the things that we have allowed to take hold of us. We have at our home, we we don't have little bitty kids anymore. We have a medium kid, we have two medium kids, and we have one big kid. That's kind of how our house works now. And then there's Gus. And he gets treated like a child, but we're working through that. When they're little, you wouldn't buy them drinks at restaurants. I still don't buy them drinks at restaurants. You water. You want water. You need to hydrate. Water. Water. Not to mention the fact that a child drink costs $4.47 now. Just Water. But I can remember when all of them were babies, they would want drinks of your drink and you would 
maybe, just maybe, pour a smidge of your unsweetened tea or your sweetened tea or whatever tea you prefer into their cup. Just enough so that they can see it. However, it's diluted. When Jesus is pointing out the idea of losing our saltiness, the idea of being diluted by this world, he's pointing out that for his disciples, there's a risk when you allow the values of this world. And those are numerous. Like love of authority and power and position to suppress the purified saltiness that God desires. God is, in actuality, saying, Jesus is saying, my, my people should be saying to the world around you that there is something worth holding on for, that I'm keeping this world moving in a direction through these people. Yet when you allow your life to be diluted, those things don't take place. You are the salt of the earth, you and you alone. You and you alone. Placed here for the preservation and the offset of the decay of the world. But the world's so bad. Have you met people? Have you been around my co-workers? Have you realized how dark the world happens to be? Paige Benton Brown, fantastic Presbyterian Bible teacher, says this. A Christian perspective on the world is always optimistic. This is not because the world is okay. It's because Jesus reigns. Jesus doesn't stop reigning because the world is dark. He says to his people, help the world to hold on because I'm coming through. Another day to seek after the hope that we'd have in Jesus. He, he goes forward and he says this after he has concluded the idea of you not losing your saltiness because you and I as believers in Jesus should not display the things that the world happens to display or... or Interact in the way the world happens to interact. He says, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Herman Babnick, well-known um, Christian commentator from years past, has said this about this Jesus who we claim to have relationship with. Christ is not the founder of Christianity, nor the first confessor of it, nor the first Christian. But Christ is Christianity itself in its preparation, in its fulfillment, and in its consummation. When we as believers in Jesus are considering the idea of what it means for us to be light of the light of the world, we cannot lose sight of the idea that our light is a reflective one in the way that the moon's light is. The moon does not have light on its own. There is no moon man turning lights on and off. The light received from the moon is from the sun and it is a reflection of it. In the same way, when we look at the idea of Jesus saying, I am the light of the world, numerous times in the New Testament, and John repeating himself when he gets to 1 John about Jesus, he, he says to us here, you are the light of the world. So is Jesus confused? Or is he saying to us that my people should reflect me? My people should display me? Because while... Salt preserves, light displays. Both of these considerations are things for us to wrestle with in our own lives in the way that we are happening to interact each and every day. Are we saying that Jesus is worth holding on to? Are we displaying this light of Jesus in a dark place? Light is used numerous times in the Old Testament. Isaiah in particular. The promised Messiah was referred to as the light 
and light to the nations multiple times. Jesus goes on to say about this idea of the light of the world. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket. Hide it under a bushel? No, I'm going to let it shine. But rather on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. So the question that we would ask as those who would claim to be believers in Jesus, who believe that this is God's declaration of who we are to be, are you lighting up your particular place, your workplace, your home, your neighborhood, in a way that says when people walk away, they would think about you, there is something that is absolutely unique that has taken place in that person's spirit. Are you lighting up your workplace in a way that allows for interactions to take place with hope in mind. Can you really light up your workplace when you walk away because someone says something that offends you? Can you light up your workplace when they say inappropriate things and you disengage completely rather than engaging appropriately? But they curse so much... And they say so many inappropriate things. They are hopeless. Guys, I know what it's like to work with difficult people. Coworkers are hard. I would encourage us to consider the hope that God has displayed to us in Jesus. Would we say to our friend and co-worker that he's worth it? But there's such a weight to this conversation. In the same way, let your light shine before others. So they may see your good works and give glory to the Father in heaven. Jesus is taking us to a consideration of the anticipation of Christ's great commission. There's a great commission coming for those who are in Jesus. This same, these same disciples who have received Jesus. Go make disciples of all nations. We, we know this. We've heard these words. They, they resonate with us. We should be familiar with these as believers. And the point that Jesus happens to be making is this. Followers of Jesus should positively impact the world. Period. The disciples of Jesus are directly tied to his message to reach the ends of the earth. That is not limited to the disciples who hear the message of Jesus as he sits down to teach the Sermon on the Mount. The message of Jesus to the ends of the earth is declared through us. People who are saying that this world is not our home, but we're going to be declaring the light of Jesus as we live in its midst. The disciples of Jesus are tied. This is an us message. Reaching the ends of the earth. To be a disciple means to be an outward focused representative of the kingdom of God. And we are people who have been given the grand responsibility of inviting people to honor and glorify God. To interact with a God who is full of hope. Motivation, it matters. It's this idea of seeing Jesus as valuable. Jared and I joke a lot. I I joked with him a few moments ago. But he chooses songs that line up so well with what we do each Sunday. We sing about Jesus being a treasure that we found. Is that treasure motivating you? Is that treasure motivating you to live in hard places? 
to interact in difficult situations? Is a treasure that you found in Jesus something that is allowing you to see the world that you've been given? You were not misplaced in Lake Jackson. But seeing the hope that you've been given with Jesus in mind. Seeing the world that you've been given with His hope in mind. I mean, I get it. I understand the Great Commission and what the Bible tells me to share my faith. I really get all of that. One pastor explains it this way. He says, let's imagine that we're in a time machine and you get to sit down with the Apostle Paul. I don't know what your first question would be for the Apostle Paul. But let's imagine that he gets to the place where he's checking on you. Checking on your emotional situation here in Lake Jackson in the year of our Lord, 2021. Año Domina. And as you sit here, Paul's saying, are you okay? Because Paul seems to be really caring like that. How you doing? And you begin to share with Paul how you believe in the message of Jesus and that's a message that is full of hope for you. And you really do believe that you've been called to be a Jesus representative in this community for the kingdom. And you begin to explain to him, I get all these things. I remember, I mean, as long as I've been around, I can remember when Jesus gave the Great Commission the first time I heard it in church. And Paul's like, yeah, 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 yeah. And I know all the things that you said. And Paul's like, yes, 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 yes. He's getting ready to hop back in the TARDIS to go back to his day. And I I, I get it that I'm supposed to share my faith. Then Paul cuts in. He says to you, I get it. I really do get it. I get it. And you're like, you do? I I mean, you're there in what looks like a tunic and I'm in these jeans. I don't know what to do with you, Paul. He said, I know you would share your faith, but you're really worried about the lions. They're going, they're going to feed you to the lions, right? I want to have lions here. What, the gators? Mm-mm. Well, then Paul begins to ask more questions. What, what do they do to persecute and torture Christians here? Are they going to light you on fire? Oh, no. What? This has to be terrible. Because Paul doesn't know what's happening in this world. Like, are they going to put your family in prison? That'd be awful. I can't imagine. That's why I told people not to get married. Are, are they going to make your work terrible? And, and they're going to make you just work hours on no end with little to no pay? Is that what they're going to do to persecute you and torture you in your world? No. No. Well, what are they going to do? I think they might start acting weird around me. Tell the world of the treasure you found. Is it worth weird moments? To preserve? To display light? You're the salt of the earth, you and you alone. You're the light of the world. You and you alone because of Jesus. We as people who are salt and light. We are not salt and light because we're right. We're salt and light because of who we display.
this Jesus is worth our lives. Paul actually says to us in Acts, Act wisely towards outsiders, making the most of your time. Let your speech be gracious. Let it be seasoned with salt. Preserving this continual conversation. So that you may know how you should answer each person. The disciples of Jesus. Regardless of what you call us. And there are numerous phrases used in the scriptures for it. You're a disciple of Jesus. You're a follower of Jesus. You are a Christian. All of these things. All of the places where it talks about you being in right relationship with Jesus are directly connected to his message being made known where you are to the ends of the earth. It's in Acts. It's in Matthew. It's littered through the words of Paul that we would be a people who are so present that the hope that we say that we found would not be something that could be ignored. There's no coincidence that you're here. God was not shocked when he placed you here. He did not say, oh my me, how did they get there? He placed us here as a family here to hold out hope so that light spreads to the ends of the earth. Because we are the people of God empowered by God for the purposes of God. Would we not take our calling lightly? I'm going to pray for us this morning. Jesus, I do pray that you would convict me of my shortcomings in places of persevering and of displaying light. I don't just pray that you would convict me. I would pray that I would not be so numb I missed it. So Lord, I do pray that you'll be with our congregation. Be with our family, because that's what we are. I pray for our church members as they walk into plants. That they would display your hope. I pray that we as a church would come alongside of your mission so that we would show salt and light. So Father, as we sing to you this morning, I pray you will convict where we need convicted, correct where we need corrected, and direct where we need directed. Because you are a treasure who is 
worthy of our lives. Let us not lose sight of that.